Lovely to see you all. Um, I'm going to need some audience participation in my first bit, okay? So there may not be any puns left, but there's some other surprises. Okay, so here we are in the final chapter of Jonah, and what a journey it's been. What a wonderful story it's been, and we're gonna, I'm going to have a quick recap on the story so far. So in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah, the man of God and prophet, is told to go to Nineveh by the Lord. His response? I don't think so, Lord. Time to leg it. Can we have an, oh, Jonah, oh, Jonah. Sorry, it's a bit panto, but anyway, okay. On board the ship heading for Tarshish, a great storm arises and puts everyone's lives in danger. And Jonah realizes that that storm is sent by God because of his disobedience. And he commands his fellow travelers to throw him overboard into the sea so that their lives can be saved. We have a go, Jonah. You're wonderful, thank you. And then, okay, no puns left, but I had to put this one in. And then the Lord provides a fish to swallow Jonah and protect him. Can you see the next slide? Yeah. Hey, Jonah, we made this for your car. I like that one. It's pretty good. Okay. Jonah, some people aren't laughing. You'll get it later. It's fine. Jonah recognizes who he is before God. He, in chapter 2, he recognizes all that God has done for him, even rescuing his life from the pit. He humbles himself and he recommits his life to serve God sacrificially, deciding to go God's way and not his. Go, Jonah. Go, Jonah. God, in chapter 3, calls Jonah to go to Nineveh a second time. And this time, the prophet accepts the mission. And he goes. Jonah obeys. We have a go, Jonah. Go, Jonah. The people of Nineveh receive Jonah's message from God. They turn from their wicked ways and back to, towards God's ways. And God sees their repentance and shows compassion to the people of, and the city of Nineveh and says he won't destroy them. God, you are amazing. Well done, Jonah. Mission complete, right? Um, then there's chapter 4 and verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Oh, Jonah. <laughs> Let's look at chapter 4 and the first four verses together. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This was why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? You know, we heard last week from Al how Jonah obeyed God and delivered his message to the people of Nineveh. And with those five Hebrew words, God worked through Jonah to save a city from destruction, making Jonah, word for word, the most successful evangelist of all time. And yet, Jonah was furious with God. Jonah throws his toys out of the pram and he stomps around like a frustrated toddler and cries out to God, see, this is why I had to run away to Tarshish. I knew that you were going to be your usual self and relent from destroying those wicked people of Nineveh. My life isn't worth living anymore because it didn't go my way. Jonah sulks. He's angry. In fact, the word anger appears six times in this chapter. And God's response? Whoa. Hang on there just a minute, Jonah. Who are you 
to be angry about me showing love and compassion to these people. Let's look at experiencing God's grace and extending it to others. The next slide. How short is Jonah's memory? You know, it wasn't so long ago that God had rescued him from certain death in the rough sea, despite his sin and disobedience. Most of us are grateful when God extends his grace towards us, aren't we? But often less so when it's extended towards the lives of others. I wear monthly contact lenses, which means that um, I, they last for 30 days and I have to clean them every day. At the beginning of those 30 days, they're really clear and I can see everything really well. I think it might be the way I clean them maybe, but as the month goes on, I'm kind of looking forward to getting into the next month and getting my new set because they get a little bit less clear and sharp. Um, it has even been known when I've gone to the opticians before for sticky toffee pudding to be found on my contact lenses, but that's a whole different story. Okay, so, you know, sometimes we can become blinded or hardened to our own sin. Or perhaps we see it through rose-tinted spectacles, and yet our vision for other people's sin is really quite sharp, isn't it? When I read the beginning of this chapter, I was reminded of Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Ouch, that's heavy, isn't it? And painful. Jonah had lost sight of the way he had sinned towards God in disobedience, and yet he felt that the people of Nineveh needed to be punished. I wonder how we're doing with extending God's grace to other people, both within the church and outside of it. When I was preparing this talk, I felt God spoke to speak to me and, and give me a picture. And he said this, what if your life, Debs, was laid out in chapters of a book or a chapter like we read about Jonah? How would the book of Debs MacDonald read? Well, would he see times of disobedience in your life as well as times as following God? The answer to that is yes, of course you would. And dare I say it, he'd see it with you as well. I believe God wants to check our hearts today and us to imagine as if our life was laid out in a story just like Jonah's. How would we feel about other people reading it? Would it help us to become more aware of the times when we're honoring God, but also the times when we're running away from his best for us? Have we developed blind spots where we excuse our own disobedience and sin and instead focus on others around us who are sinning in what seems to be far more obvious ways. Let's turn back to that book, shall we, of ourselves. Think about it laid out there, your life. You know, we criticize others and yet we sit in our homes watching inappropriate sexual or violent films. We watch programs where the language is inappropriate and we should be turning off our TVs. Or perhaps in your workplace you're taking shortcuts and not doing your best. Or you're photocopying things on work time for your own personal use. Or as a student, perhaps you think it's okay just to mix some, miss some lectures. Can't be bothered to get out of bed this morning, I'm too tired. Or perhaps you leave your assignments um, and they're always getting handed in late, not for any real good reason. Or maybe you just enjoy a really good gossip 
It's interesting, isn't it? Do you know what? The list could go on, couldn't it? And all of the above, all of those things are sin. And God doesn't differentiate between sin. He's holy and he hates all of it. And yet our God, our holy God, is a God of grace and forgiveness. And he wants us to recognize our sin. And he wants to extend his grace and forgiveness to us. But more than that, he wants us to extend that grace and forgiveness towards other people around us as well. Jonah refused to believe that God had actually decided to forgive the people of Nineveh rather than destroying them. He was a man of God from the nation of Israel, and yet he struggles when God extends his grace outside of the borders of Israel. He was surprised by the extent of God's grace to this wicked city. He knows scripture and how God has revealed himself in Exodus 34 verses 6 to 7 as a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Eugene Peterson says this in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant. There was nothing wrong in Jonah's knowledge of God, but he was unpracticed in God's ways. Jonah had the head knowledge of who God was, but he hadn't experienced the practical outworking of his grace and compassion. I wonder where we are unpracticed in God's ways where we're unpracticed in actually living out the word of God, not just the head knowledge, but living it out? Do we struggle to show grace and forgiveness towards others? You know, that can be evident in our homes, in our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, or sadly, maybe even in the church. God longs for us to be more like him and to have his heart towards others. That includes people from different nations and different faiths, just like Jonah had to learn. When others are blessed by God and we don't feel they deserve it, God wants to ask us this question. Do you have any right to be angry? Lovingly, he says, look at the grace and forgiveness I've shown you through my son dying on the cross to wash you clean from your sin. Look at the grace that I show you every single day when you make mistakes. And I choose to forgive you time and time again. Let's move on to Jonah chapter 4 verses 5 to 8. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Let's look at being God-centered and not self-centered. 
So our sulking prophet stomps his way out of Nineveh to a place east of the city. And you can just imagine him moaning and groaning as he goes along, moaning and groaning at God. Lord, Nineveh's a wicked place. You said it would be overthrown. That made sense to me. Surely you're going to go with that in the end. And Jonah builds his shelter and sits and waits to see whether God will change his mind and perhaps go with Jonah's plan after all. What a lack of imagination Jonah has for God furthering furthering his kingdom. But more than that, he had a failure of heart. His heart was not aligned with God's. He has no idea what God is doing and the extent of his love and mercy and his salvation. As far as Jonah's concerned, he'd obeyed the Lord, he'd gone to the wicked city, and yet nothing was going his way. Jonah was caught up in his own ways his ideas, his prejudiced prejudiced plan for these people wasn't working out. You know, as we see in this story, Jonah's misplaced anger accomplishes nothing with God. God doesn't change his plans because of Jonah's tantrums and sulking. I wonder whether we ever sulk or get angry with God because things are not going the way we want them to. If you don't know me, I'm a teacher by profession, and uh, during my career in teaching, quite recently actually, I've been made redundant three times. God has allowed jobs, which I believe he actually gave to me in the first place, to come to an end. And it's been painful, and some of those situations, I don't understand and don't exactly know why God has allowed those jobs to go. But what I do know is that God has continued to bless me, He's been faithful, and he has provided for me and my family even with less money coming in. And I have known the intimacy of his comfort and his presence with me as I've been going through uncertain times and challenging times. When we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to a narrow path, which has its twists and turns, and it's going to be challenging at times. And walking in God's ways goes against our selfish, sinful nature. But it leads to life. It leads to life in all its fullness. Abundant life in Christ. Maybe today you feel that God has put you in a situation you'd have never chosen for. And I just think it's amazing what Andy came up and shared. Thanks for doing that, Andy, and being faithful to that because it it just fits in. You know, it's hard. Maybe your comforts and desires are being pressed from every side. God wants you to know that his ways are perfect. He's going to uphold you by his spirit. He will be the one that strengthens you as you go through the trials. You know, he wants to conform us to his ways, to his plans. And a bit like that big lump of clay being put on a potter's wheel. At first it can be messy as it spins around. But God shapes us. God shapes us so that we come into his plans and purposes until we become this beautiful vase, this work of art. You know, that shaping can be a painful process. But it's God's best for us. He always wants the best for us. So even though you don't understand what's going on right now, choose to keep your eyes focused on him. Trust that he is sovereign. Cling to him through those challenging times. In verse 5 of chapter 4, we read that God provided a vine to grow up over Jonah in order to shade him from the heat of the sun. 
we also read that Jonah is very happy about this. Hooray, finally Jonah is happy and not angry. You can just imagine him just about cracking a smile on his face from the tension of the anger. But no sooner has the plant started to provide comfort and delight to Jonah, God decides to take it away, letting it be eaten up by a worm. Jonah was then exposed to the sun and a scorching east wind that was sent by God. And it leads to those famous words again from Jonah. It would be better for me to die. Why did God do this? Well, clearly Jonah had so much more to learn. So let's focus first of all on the fact that God provided a vine to grow up for Jonah and gave him shelter. In Matthew 18 and Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of the shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep in order to go after the one that has gone astray. God was showing Jonah that not only did he care about every single individual in Nineveh, but he also cared about Jonah on the edge of that city having a sulk. What an incredible God we have, who is mindful of each one of us, as it says in Psalm 8. Every person on this earth, whether saved or unsaved, is so precious to God. We need to remember that, whether we're speaking to someone after church today, or we're out on our street and bump into a neighbor to speak to them, or in our workplace, wherever we are, we need to remember how precious people are to God. So why did God send us the worm to destroy the vine after providing it? Well, Jonah's focus had become really self-centered. He was moaning because God didn't do things the way he expected. And the provision of the vine over him just gave him another opportunity to think about his own needs before others. God wanted Jonah to realize that he's the one in charge and not Jonah. He shows his power and sovereignty in verses 6 to 8 as the vine grows up. His power and sovereignty over creation as the vine grows up, but also as the worm destroys it. You know, the plant obeys God's command without question. But Jonah struggles to surrender and submit to God's instruction and his ways. It's interesting that in Hebrew, the word for this vine literally translates as a plant that makes you want to vomit. The Lord wanted to expose Jonah's sickening self-centeredness in showing him, in showing this love for the plant and his comfort. It was in stark contrast, contrast from his lack of love for the 120,000 people living in Nineveh, who if Jonah had had his way, many innocent toddlers and babies would have been destroyed. I wonder, do we need to look at our lives and consider where our self-centeredness is stopping God from fulfilling his plans and purposes in this world. Are we aware that God is, in, is sovereign over all things in our lives? Are we allowing him to be sovereign over all things in our lives? Is he in charge? Are we giving every area of our lives to him? When I read verse 6 initially, I was drawn to John chapter 15, verse 5, and I just want to look at that verse together. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, God's message to Jonah is the same for us. I am the vine. I am your source. Remain in me and you'll grow to understand and love my ways and want to follow my ways. And you're going to be fruitful. Fruitful in a way that reaches far beyond yourself and furthers the kingdom of God on this earth. 
Oh Lord, break into our selfish hearts today. Help us to live each day with you as our source, with you at the center for your fame and glory. So let's look finally at verses 9 to 11. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh had more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, as many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So look, finally, our great commission. In these last few verses, God reminds Jonah of how self-focused he has become and how far away his heart is from God's. God has shown Jonah his love for him personally in providing him with the fish to rescue him from the sea, as well as the vine to grow up upon, over him. But his heart is so, so much bigger than rescuing one Israelite prophet from the nation of Israel. God says to Jonah, look at these people in Nineveh. They don't know their left from their right hand. They're confused, they're mixed up, and they need a shepherd to lead them. God wants to clearly state through this book that he is the God of the whole earth and not just of Israel. In Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham saying this, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is God's master plan, his plan A, that salvation through believing in Jesus Christ would be preached to the ends of the earth. Jonah, a staunch religious Israelite, struggles with God's grace being shown to people who are racially and religiously different from him. He's like the older brother, as we read in the story of the prodigal son. Who, he obeys his father and he wants all his father's compassion and forgiveness to be shown to him. But when it comes to the younger brother, who has been rebellious, he doesn't want that same compassion and forgiveness and grace to be shown. We need to search our hearts to get again. It's a heart issue. We've been forgiven of so much and we've received such grace. But I wonder, do we put up barriers to certain people who are racially and religiously different from us? Do we put limits on who God could reach through us? I'm not going there, Lord. I don't think they'd hear you. I don't think they deserve to be saved. The book of Jonah is such a challenge to us both individually and corporately as a church. God's plan A for this world is for all nations to be reached with the good news of Jesus Christ through his church, and that is us. So that every person has the opportunity to turn away from destruction, just like the people of Nineveh did. The challenge for us is will we be distracted by our own comforts and desires, just as Jonah was by the vine that was growing over him. You know, our own selfish ambitions can become barriers to us sharing the gospel with others around us. I hope, as I do, you enjoy coming along to Redeemer every Sunday. I know that I am really blessed to be here amongst God's people, and I consider you to be my family. We have precious times of worship together. We listen to the word of God. We eat together, we laugh together, and sometimes even cry together. Church is a precious thing, but can easily become very comfortable, 
like a club where we sit back and we just enjoy the blessings of God. I wonder how you've reacted if you've watched the video about going north and the thoughts there. So going north is a challenge. It's going to change the way that Redeemer looks because we are going to get out there and reach other people in this city. I wonder whether you have said to the Lord, I'm willing to let go of my comfort and my desires to further your plans and purposes for this earth and for this city. You know, church is about worship, prayer, and the word and fellowship, but it is so much more. God has big plans that he wants to accomplish through his church. John 3 verse 16, that famous verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loves this world. And then our great commission in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them, that is his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's master plan for his followers, the church, us. He sent Jesus to die for the whole world. And he calls us to play our part in sharing the amazing news of Jesus with everyone we meet. I wonder how often we come to God in worship, maybe even today, bowing down and acknowledging what Jesus has done for us personally. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. God has shown us compassion, love and forgiveness way beyond any human love we could experience. And it's absolutely right to marvel and be full of gratitude at our salvation through Jesus Christ. But you know, God's heart is grieved if we stop there. He longs for us to have a sense of urgency for the thousands, the millions, the billions of people in our world who are lost without him and destined for an eternity without God. I wonder whether you actually stop and think about that, what, what that would be like for your family, for your friends, for your neighbours, for your work colleagues. You know, as I wrote this part of this talk, and perhaps that's why I'm feeling so emotional now, I just got really emotional with the weightiness of God's commission to the church, but also with a heavy heart, knowing that too often I've cared too much about my own comforts and desires to step up. I wonder, have I really cared about people knowing the Lord and being lost? I wonder, do you put aside your comforts and your desires in order to feel, fulfill God's plans and purposes? We sing a song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Wow, just asking God to break our heart for what breaks his, that's huge. Do we think about those words? Do we let them really seep in and affect our lives and the way we live? And then everything I am for your kingdom's cause. I'm surrendering everything, Lord. God's kingdom's cause is to bring all peoples to himself. You know, Eugene Peterson says this about Jonah. God had brought Jonah to Nineveh to give him an experience of amazing grace. 
the tables are turned. It's no longer Jonah preaching to the people of Nineveh, but the people of Nineveh preaching to Jonah, inviting him into a vocation far beyond anything he had supposed. Today, God brings us to Redeemer so that we can lift up the name of Jesus and worship him for his saving grace. But he calls us beyond this hall to our city, to the nation, to the nations of the world, to declare salvation through Jesus Christ and be part of a vocation far beyond anything we have ever dreamed. And he promises us, as he did the disciples all those years ago, and surely I am with you always. That is, he's with us by his spirit, strengthening strengthening us, giving us the boldness we need, equipping us to witness. He is with us always to the very end of the age. You know, when you read the four chapters of Jonah, it's so easy to get caught up with the story of Jonah being disobedient and then obedient. But through Jonah, God challenges us personally and corporately on so many levels. He says, you have received such grace. How are you showing grace and forgiveness to others? Which areas of our lives need to be more God-centered and less self-centered. And I wonder, will you ask God today to align your heart with his for the lost? That's huge. That is huge. Will we step up and say, I put aside my comfort and desires in order to play my part in your master plan to reach this lost and broken world? I'm going to ask you to be really brave this morning. If God has spoken to you about one of those things, whether it's showing grace and forgiveness to others, or your life needs to be more God-centered and less self-centered, or perhaps you just know, like I do, that I haven't got enough of a heart for the lost, I'd really love to pray. So I'm going to ask you to be bold and stand up if something has spoken to you, all three has, and I'd really love to pray for us. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you you feel God's leading you to do that. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the incredible grace that you have shown to us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for washing away all our sin with your blood on the cross. And Lord Jesus, we want to live for you. We choose to live for you in a new way today. May this day be a change in our direction, Lord. I pray that you would help us, your people, to show your grace and forgiveness to others around us. Whoever they might be, even the the hardest person at work, whoever it is, Lord, would you challenge us, would you help us and equip us to show that grace and forgiveness. And Lord, where we have become self-centered, where we have got used to things being comfortable and we like it too much, Lord, and we're missing out on the things that you want us to be doing. Lord, would you help us to be God-centered afresh, to get our eyes focused on you and off of ourselves and ready to live for you. Change our hearts, Lord. And finally, Father, I just pray, I just pray that you would align our hearts with yours for those that are lost. Father, don't let it rebound off us today so that we go out of this place and say, yeah, great words, but it's not really going to change my actions. 
Lord, we want to further your kingdom because it is your master plan. Would you use us for your glory and to see the lost saved? In Jesus' name, amen.